Western Soccer Podcast. We have yet another postseason episode because women's soccer keeps on winning. I'm Emmett Malik, as always, joined by Parker Johnson this week. The two of us are here to take you through the NCAA tournament for Northwestern women's soccer. They defeated Butler this weekend, going to UCLA this upcoming weekend. Parker, how you doing tonight? Oh, doing lovely, Emmett. My, uh, my high school soccer team. Just just got into the state final, so oh wow! I'm very excited. I've been wearing That's... my my old jersey from high school all day. I'm one of those guys who like yeah. never never is able to quite relive his high school glory. I'm, so I'm the same way. My team wasn't as good as yours, so I, I don't get to relive it as much. But that's fun, you know. This part of the year for soccer that's not professional, it's, it's a great time because all the matches mean so much. Uh, let's get into it for Northwestern. You and I were both there. This was a very cagey, cagey game. Zero zero. It's a nice way to put it. That's no a nice one, way to no put it. No one really scored in overtime. We went to penalty kicks. Northwestern went three two. What's your What's your big takeaways from the match, Parker? I mean, I think it was it was a match that honestly just like can't take that much from. Like both teams were really good at defense, pretty average on offense, and I think that showed in the way the game went. Um, I like the the first ninety was very very dull. I mean, there weren't a ton of chances. I think there were more. I, w- I was kind of counting, following along, like, the amount of chances, at least, um, as I was working the game. And I feel like there were more chances just in overtime than there were in the entire 90, um, at least good chances that both teams could have scored. Um, so they kind of picked it up towards the end, but ended up going to penalties. And, uh, you know, Northwestern got the win. I think I think they showed that they're obviously a great team in penalties. We've known that with Warren Clem, um, great goalkeeper. And then also having some freshmen take up, uh, step up and take penalties, which was, uh, I think, a positive sign for Northwestern, so... During the match, it didn't seem like either team was really likely to score. I think you mentioned good chances. Kayla Sharples had a set piece that got to her foot. It did. Missed wide. Maddie Cowell hit the crossbar. I think they had one good chance. Outside of that, there's really, like, not a lot. I remember Paige Monahan had one that she missed wide. It was a, it was a really yeah. tight game. I think, as you said, Parker, two very good defensive teams. Average offenses, I think, is, is fair to say. I thought Northwestern dominated possession a little bit more. They did. But it's not that it was entirely more purposeful. Butler definitely played five in the back for a lot of the match. They did. It was really hard for Northwestern to score. Let's talk about penalty kicks a little bit. This was very nerve-wracking for both teams. I think, as you said, Lord Clem obviously gave Northwestern an advantage in this one. Butler took out the goalkeeper that had played the second half. That was Doga. Duga. Duga. Yeah. Sorry. And they put back in their, their goalkeeper that played the first Lidke. half, Hannah Lidke. Yeah. What do you think about that decision? Is I mean, I don't know. We don't know who the better goalkeeper was, per se, right. in their point of view. But do you like the idea of going switching keepers right before a shootout? I mean, I don't know. I think it was it was obvious that Dugo was their go-to second-half goalkeeper. And she played all of overtime. So that would signal that you would think they have more faith in her. Um and she has a, a slightly higher save percentage on the year. Both of them had very high save percentages on the season. Uh, but Duga was number one in the country. They took her out for penalties. I think the only difference is that Lidke, the first half goalkeeper, was slightly taller. And I think she was a little bit more athletic. Duga was one of those um, goalkeepers that's a little bigger. It, it, like, like She was like a little stockier than yeah, Lidke. That's fair. But Lidke was able to make extension saves a little bit better. And as a former goalkeeper, like... I think that was the di- that was the difference I noticed is that because Lidkey was a little bit had a little bit longer arms and was a little bit more athletic, I think they wanted her in just simply for her reach in penalties. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there was yeah. there was the one shot. 
um, I forget that which Fisher North, yeah, Kylie Fisher that Lidke hit both there. hands on Lidke, and I don't know, maybe Duga saves that, maybe she doesn't. Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with it just being a slick ball because it had been raining the whole match. Um, but I think I think it was a questionable decision from Butler. Interesting that you mentioned that. I'm also very glad you're here as a goalkeeper because we had a shootout to talk about. Yeah. So the way it worked is that Butler went first, they scored, Northwestern scored, then they saved, Northwestern missed. Is that right? No, they both no, no, made no, they the both, first two. So there were two two, sorry. Then Butler sa- was saved by Clem. By Clem. Missed. Michaela from, Hampton missed left. But missed left. Then Butler saved again. And it was Monahan, their best player, yeah. who who shot fourth, and Clem was all over that one. I mean, she had taken she, so, a full step and a half to the side that Monahan shot it before yeah. she even struck the ball. I talked to Coach Monahan today. I don't know if this is in the interview or not. Either way, it's fair game to share. Is that they knew which way Paige Monahan was going beforehand. They had looked at a penalty that she had taken. So it was I'm, pretty clear. I mean, it was pretty yeah, clear from Clem's clear save. Clem like Clem actually kind of had to like stop her dive because it wasn't all the because, way in the corner. Yeah, because she had already taken a step that way and it wasn't fully in the corner. Fourth shot for Northwestern. Davison takes it. Lidke went the right way again, but this one was in the side net and couldn't save it. And the last finish. one yeah. off the crossbar from D. Sarcina. So well, and what and I, I have to interject here because on that last one. Something that Clem did on yeah, a she, couple of the penalties she is kind of she. Yeah. So she started like a half step to her right, and I've seen a lot of goalkeepers do this. <coughs> I always had problems with this because, like, I faked myself out almost because I was thinking about it too hard. But basically, what that does is, as a shooter, you see slightly more room to one side of goal than the other, and if the goalkeeper plays it off as as if she doesn't know she's in the middle, then. The shooter will often shoot to the side that you give more room to. But then as a goalkeeper, you can just decide to dive to that side early and still save it. So you could tell she was in the head a little bit of DeSarcina, and DeSarcina went the way that she gave more space to. And Clem ended up going slightly to that way as well. Yeah, yeah. She, I think she was planning to dive that way, and she wanted DeSarcina to shoot that way. Um, but it seemed like she was in her head. I mean, DeSarcina struck it off the crossbar, couldn't hit that upper 90. The way we, we talked about it was that we thought DeSarcina felt that the only way she was going to score if she put it in the upper 90, like you said, went for, you know, those fine margins, didn't get it. So I want to ask you, you know, what's going through your head in your shootout if you're Lauren Clem? You know, you, you've obviously, you're a goalkeeper, you've had experience. How are you trying to get in the head of Butler? How much can you read into what they're shooting? I mean, you saw this. What did you think that she was doing that worked? And, you know, what? how do you kind of approach a shootout? Right. So I think the first thing that people don't necessarily realize is that as a goalkeeper, none of the pressure is on you. All of the pressure is on the striker. If they score, oh well, they were supposed to score. They had a free shot from 12 yards in the middle of the goal. Um, if you save it, you're a hero, but there's not really as much downside. It's very hard to actually earn blame as a keeper in a shootout. So so just to put that, first of all, I mean, there's very little pressure on you as a keeper. It can only go up, um, if you will. So also, I think something that Lauren Clem did a really good job of, and I remember being taught this um, when I did keeper training, was like, take a step forward, which technically is illegal in soccer. Um, you're, you're supposed to stay on the goal line as a keeper, um, and the refs are supposed to be watching for that. And they've, there's but, been some push recently to, to, to call that out more right, frequently because right. it happens. But I, th- I think you're right that it's still kind of mostly you can get away with at least yeah, one step. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, you, if you time it right and you don't take the step too <coughs> far, I mean, she did this on both of the penalties, actually, that she saved. I was watching... Um, especially the one against Monaghan where she already knew which way she was going. Not only did she take the step 
to her left, but she also had taken a step forward. So I think she did a really smart job of that, of not making it too obvious, but still doing that. Because as a goalkeeper, anytime you can be closer to the shooter and cut down the angle, it's always going to help you. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, there's a few subtle cues. I know uh, Coach Moynihan talked about this in the post game that their goalkeeper coach had been working a lot with Clem on that. Um, there's more than you realize that you can pick up on. I remember an old goalkeeper coach told me that 80% of the time, the way a person's plant foot is facing when they set the ball down is actually the way that they shoot. So if you if you watch their plant foot when they put the ball down, which is a really weird thing, it's a subtle yeah. thing, and most people do it unconsciously, you can actually see that. And if you if you start with that knowledge and say, okay, her plant foot was p- facing to the left, let's look for other cues that might signal she's shooting left. Um, you can read it more times than not. A lot of times you don't have to guess um, unless you're at the very, very highest level where players are, you know, striking yeah. the ball with incredible pace. But, um, it, I mean, in college soccer, you can definitely, like, react and sort of react with some educated guess, if you will. I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. It's really interesting. I had no idea that you could read from the plant foot. You can. It's crazy. There's, there's so much, you know, kind of hidden science. I, that's, I don't, that's what I'll call it. Right. Into these penalty kicks and... I'm sure that Paul Jennison definitely imparted some to Club. We don't know for sure what yeah. Lauren Club was looking at. You know, the hips are always important. Yeah. You know, what a player's I don't know what, what they're looking at. I'm sure that they know some more stuff, but that's a that's a really good one and I bet you there's some tells that Lauren Club definitely knew yeah. because she was in their head somehow. It was wild. And then, you know, going back to the shooter, you know, I I played, but you, you played as well. What's your mentality when you're in a shootout and you know you have a good keeper? Like, what? Yeah, how do so, you feel? You feel think, more confident? I mean, yeah, definitely. If you have your own, like, a really good keeper on your team that you know could bail you out if you miss, I think there's definitely a level of confidence there. I mean, especially for, for instance, like, a freshman like Michaela Hampton, you know, I mean, she clearly, I'm sure, felt a lot of pressure as a freshman te- t- stepping up to take that third spot kick. And, you know, missing it wide, that's the only thing you don't want to do as a shooter. No matter how you decide to shoot it, even if you go for a little chip down the middle, you have to put it on goal because not forcing the goalkeeper to make a save is the worst thing you can do. Um, And so, but I think that some of that pressure is relieved for her when she knows that Lauren Clem is going to step in the goal right after and face Monaghan, and she got the save right after, which I'm sure took a huge weight off of uh, Hampton's shoulders. Yeah, right after she she missed, the save was back. I'm sure she felt much better. Yeah, yeah. And also the thing was when she took it, she had just, Butler had just missed their own. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you want to go up in the shootout, but if there's any time to miss one, yeah, yeah that's kind of an okay yeah. time. Yeah. That's enough penalty kick analysis from us, but oh, it was really it. interesting. Well, I'm sure we can always talk more about penalty kicks. You never know what could happen this weekend as well. But let's talk about this this weekend. Friday night at UCLA, a number two seed. And Parker, we both know this team is very, very, very talented. You know, let's go big picture first. What is UCLA really good at? I mean, UCLA just scores a ton of goals. They have 48 goals on the season, which, I mean, I don't know. You have the rankings. So, yeah, I have the up, ranking right? summary as, as Shoot, always. Give, a, give us the ranking summary. Oh, give we us the love, ranking we summary. love to hear it a minute. They're sixth in the country in total goals with 48. Top 10 in the country. Eighth in the country in scoring offense. 2.4 goals per game. There's a pretty, that's abs- ridiculous. pretty absurd numbers. Uh, you know, individually, they don't have anyone that's in the top 10 or top 20 in goals per game. Haley Mace, their leading scorer, I'm sure we'll get into individually the players. She's 26. She scores 0.7 goals per game. And then, you know, the other interesting thing to note is that saves per game, 326th. Their mm-hmm. goalkeeper only makes 2.4 saves per game. 
and that probably means they don't give up a lot of shots on goal. I think it's because of the way they play. They just have the ball at their feet so often. So those are the two things. Scoring offense is as good as it gets in the country, and then defensively they limit volume. So I think that's the big picture place we can start at. Yeah, no, I think those are two great observations. Um, as you mentioned, the scoring attack is really, really balanced. They have uh, Haley Mace has 13 goals, and then they have three players who have six goals on the season, and then another <coughs> three who each have four goals on the season. To put that in context, Northwestern only has one player that has four goals on the season, and that's Brenna Lavera. Um, so, I mean, I think if you look at how balanced that is, that gives you worry as a Northwestern yeah. fan, because... Northwestern is best when they're facing one really good offensive threat. Yeah, that's something we talked about all year, and the, this is exactly what you're mentioning, Parker, is that you can't just shut down one player and expect to get away with it. And for context, UCLA scored 48 goals. You mentioned all these goal scorers. Northwestern has 24 total goals. So, so they literally double what Northwestern has scored this season. Northwestern output. It's a lot of goals. And I think, you know, looking at this lineup, obviously Haley Mace is the player to watch. Ashley Sanchez is good, too. She is... Uh, Six goals and nine assists. Which is leads the team. And she's a U.S. women's national team player. Uh, we're familiar with those from Penn State. Casey Murphy from Rutgers, uh, if you've been following along this year. She ventured last year as well. She's really good. And then the other player to watch, Mackenzie Serna, at least internationally, um, she took off to play with last weekend to go play with the Canadian national team, if I'm not mistaken. Let me make sure that's correct. I'm sorry, incorrect. Jesse Fleming. Jesse Fleming, who has seven assists, four goals, went to play with the Canadian national team last weekend. She's back this weekend, and she's, you know, another incredible influence starting for a national team. And then their goalie, um, who we'll talk about a little, um, Tegan Micah, is Australian. She's been called up to the national team, but hasn't got a cap with them yet. So, you know, the pedigree of these players is good. And then, you know, Parker, there are other players that you were just talking about that are also good, even if they're not necessarily on the international team. Yeah, I mean, they're one of these teams, and we talked about this with Penn State, the depth of their attack, because, like, with Penn State, as Moynihan said, like, they had three international quality players playing, coming off the bench. And one of UCLA's most dangerous players comes off the bench. That's Julia Hernandez, the number 10. She has six goals on the season. But she's only started three games, and she's only played 463 minutes. So if you work that out in a per 90 ratio, she scores 1.16 goals per 90. Which is an insane stat. I, I mean, mean, like, for, for reference, like, in, in at the highest level of soccer... Play, there are two players in the world that score more than one goal a game. Yeah. And that's Messi and Ronaldo. Like, yep. And you're talking about men's professional soccer at the highest, highest level. No one scores more than one goal a 90. That's just yeah. an absurd I mean, rate. like, a... a a good rate for a striker is like, is like half, yeah, yeah. And one like every two games. The best players like in any given season probably score point seven. Yeah, I'm sure like Luis Suarez has put together a season where he's probably Aguero's had like a point nine. Yeah, like I'm sure they've done it. Yeah. but this but is one point one six. And she's she scored. She's played four hundred sixty three minutes. Like you do the math, that's like less than nine total around nine total games the entire season. Yeah, scored six goals. This is this is insane. Uh, what Julia Hernandez is doing. And that's the thing. She's coming off the bench. I think the other thing to watch defensively was that player who I mentioned earlier, mistakenly, Mackenzie Serna. The reason why her name was in my head, she was named to the top drawer soccer team of the week. She's a left back, but she also goes forward. She scored against San Diego State. She's really talented. Now, Parker, I know... Yeah, she has four goals on the season yeah, we and didn't, two assists. For sure. she She's going to go forward, and that's also a problem is when those outside backs overload. You know, tactically for Northwestern, it means... 
They're going to have to de- defend. Their wingers are going to have to come back and defend. You know, I think looking at UCLA, we didn't watch a lot of their tape so far this season, but you saw their goals against San Diego State. You know, what did they tell you, if anything? What did you glean from, from those highlights? Right. So against San Diego State, I'm not sure exactly who scored the first goal, but it was a set piece. It was about 20 yards out. It was prime uh, direct free kick territory. And whoever shot it buried it into the upper it was, 90. Uh, Annika Rodriguez. Yeah, okay. So Annika Rodriguez. A ridiculous um, goal. You, I saw yeah, the highlight too. It was, you it, was a, it, to me. it was a beautiful it was a beautiful goal. Um she has six goals, seven assists on the season, so clearly a very talented player on the attack as well. Um she froze the goalkeeper. I mean the goalkeeper couldn't even move because she just knew she wasn't gonna save it. So that was a great goal. Um and then they scored again. The other two goals uh were good. Their second goal was a goal where it was a longer cross um in swinging from the top of the box and into their striker who nodded at home. And that is a goal that, to me, it was pretty, but it's a goal that Northwestern probably isn't going to give up with Sharples and Davison in the back line because what happened was the attacker split the San Diego State center backs and then got in and headed it. And you never see that from, from Hannah Davison and Kayla Sharples. So I think that's a goal that's unrealistic to see against Northwestern. And then San Diego State actually got one back um, and played UCLA to 2-1 to one until the 85th minute when UCLA scored their third goal, uh, which was a nice goal and salted the game away. But San Diego State kept it close. They scored one goal that is pretty pretty hard to foresee them scoring against Northwestern. So, I don't know. I wasn't super yeah. impressed by UCLA, even though they won 3-1. to one. I think one of the narratives you're going to hear this week from Austin and I, from you, Parker, and everyone around the team is that the talent on UCLA is incredible. And we read their, you know, their stats. These players are incredible. But compared to Duke, who Northwestern saw last year, compared to Penn State, who we saw this year, there's kind of a little bit of lack of cohesion, killer instinct, whatever you want to call it, that factor that just a good team, when they're dominating a game, they don't let go of a game. I think that's something where UCLA doesn't quite have, and there'll be some openings for Northwestern. And honestly, even though Northwestern clearly has scored half the amount of goals as UCLA this year, they kind of do have that instinct, where, I mean... It, I would say it was an exception against Penn State due to many other circumstances, but generally when Northwestern gets a lead, they don't give it up. Yeah, if Northwestern scores first in this game, that's what makes this game really, really interesting uh, from a neutral perspective because then say is really going to come after it. I think the flip side, the biggest nightmare for a fan of Northwestern, for a neutral fan, would be UCLA scoring early because that meant Northwestern would have to come out of their shell, really attack UCLA, which is not how they're built to play. Yeah. Uh, before we, I want to ask you how this game goes. I just want to, you know, check off UCLA's resume really quickly. Just read you kind of what they've done this season. They're sixteen two and two. Very talented in the Pac twelve. Their losses came to Stanford, who best team in the country, one zero, and a surprise one zero loss to Washington State, who came in the tournament, got in the tournament as an at large bid. A solid team, not that good. 49th in the RPI. 49th in the RPI, exactly. But one thing we I heard about Washington State from Coach Michael Moynihan is that their striker was big, talented, fast, was the number one attribute. And that's how they really gave trouble to UCLA back run. Not something that Northwestern really has a player that can do that. But those are the only two losses for UCLA this season. Uh, the only other results that maybe are, you know, have relevance, I think, to Northwestern. Pepperdine, a team that Northwestern played 0-0, or lost 1-0, but... You go back to that game. But we'll, we'll talk about that game. <laughs> you go back to that game. You think Northwestern played them pretty evenly. UCLA tied Pepperdine 1-1. So there's there's definitely a lot of 
things you can kind of latch onto and say, you can see why Northwestern would be in this game. So, Parker, I'll ask you, how do you see this game going? You can give a prediction if you want, but more importantly, like, what is this game going to look like? I mean, I think Northwestern, if they want to get any sort of result from this game, it's just going to have to muck it up. I mean, it's going to have to be kind I, I don't want to say packing it in because I feel like that's a little bit unfair, but it's going to be very similar to what we saw in the Big Ten Championship game against Penn State. Two teams with similar talent levels, and Northwestern probably going to, if I had to guess, run a similar um, game plan in that what Northwestern did in that first half against Penn State before they had to move inside, before the, the rain delay, was they sat back and they allowed shots, but they didn't allow shots on goal. Penn State only had one shot on goal in the first half, even though they outshot Northwestern by a good amount. And then Northwestern was able to find a goal on the counter. And I think that as as hard as it is to to seek a result playing that way, I think that's what Northwestern has to do against UCLA. I think I, I could agree with you more, Parker. And, you know, the, the Duke game last year, I don't remember how much of that you remember, but same kind of thing against Penn State. They allowed a lot of shots. But you think back to it, Duke didn't have a lot of clean shots on goal. I think that's going to be the blueprint for Northwestern. One thing that Northwestern doesn't have going for it that it did against Penn State is that field was very wet, kind of hampered the way that Penn State played. It's going to be 70 degrees and sunny this week on a clean grass field. As Austin Miller was joined in, gives a thumbs up. He was very cold. And I was really week. cold on Sunday afternoon. Really cold. <laughs> so look, I'm not going to complain about a little bit of sunshine sure, in my fair, life. Oh, fair enough. Worth bringing up. Northwestern undefeated when the temperature is oh, under 60 yeah. degrees, but all their losses this season have come when the t- temperature has been above 60 degrees. So keep an eye on that weather forecast. Always got to watch out for their weather. Thank you for those weather stats. And then, Parker, we'll wrap up this podcast by, you know, talking about should Northwestern win, we're not going to totally discount it because, as you mentioned, there's a blueprint for it. They're going to have to execute pretty perfectly. But if they win, there's still more matches to play for. This would be the Sweet 16 coming up after that. They play the winner of Pepperdine and Virginia. We don't know who's necessarily going to win that match. I think that's a pretty even match. What can you tell us about Pepperdine, a team that Northwestern lost to 1-0 in a close game earlier this season? Yeah, I mean, I think the results that we've talked about, both beating Northwestern 1-0 and then drawing UCLA, I think those are both pretty representative results of Pepperdine as a team. Uh, In the RPI, they're number 13 right now. And so, I mean, they're a very, very good team. Northwestern played them very evenly, although they did lose 1-0. A little bit of a goalkeeping mistake by by Lauren Clem that allowed the goal. Um, so, I I mean, clearly they they play evenly to top competition. And Virginia's, North, Virginia's a lot lower than them in the RPI, so I don't know. Yeah, Virginia is, I a, haven't seen either is team not play, that solid of a top team. They're seeded, and Wisconsin beat them this season. Virginia and Pepperdine have both also already played UCLA yeah. for what it's worth, which is just really intriguing. That that, that that's how the UC, pod yeah UCLA out. could end up playing another a team again to get to the quarterfinals. It's just kind of weird. Yeah, Pepperdine, their calling card is their defense. You think about a lot of teams Northwestern to see this year that has that in common with them. They're third in the country in goals against average, .29 goals allowed. Oh. That's like Northwestern stats last year. Yeah. Uh, Pepperdine also, to go along with that third-best defense, has the 11th-best scoring offense in the country, the 2.3 goals game. They're a pretty complete team, but that being said, they played against the Western Coast Conference, which is how they've run up a lot of those score lines. And when Northwestern played them, it really was a 0-0 kind of game, like really scrappy like Butler. I was just going to say they ain't played nobody. Yeah, which is fair. I mean, they they played somebody, but they ain't played somebody consistently. Sure, I agree. And then Virginia is a pretty solid team. They don't actually do a lot great, but they're in the ACC. They're in a really good conference. 
I think that's fair. Parker, if you had to tell me right now, who do you think will win that Pepperdine-Virginia uh, game? I would say Pepperdine. I, I, I feel like they can pull it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, go go for the wave. That's 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 yeah. their mascot, right? It's the, the wave. Waves, yeah. Uh, I, I, wasn't sure if, I, the waves. Like, I wasn't sure if there was a color in there. If you were a prospective women's soccer athlete and you're not coming to Northwestern, number one choice, your number two choice should probably be Pepperdine. That thing is right on the ocean, and the ocean looks a lot nicer than Lake <laughs> Michigan in yeah. November. That yeah. is a really, really nice place to play. Pepperdine doing it right uh, with their facilities. I, I would agree with you. I think Pepperdine is a little bit better team. Scrimson 1-0. And personally, I would love for Northwestern to get a chance to get some revenge against the Waves. We'll see how this game goes. I think you predicted the way the game will go pretty accurately. Do you have a result for me, Parker, or are you not gonna you're not gonna UCLA venture so far? and Northwestern? Yeah. If Ooh. Give me you gonna zero go zero. Okay. Through hundred and ten. Okay. Northwestern four to two on PKs. Okay. I like that result and I will say that that is a realistic way this game could happen. I think that's how Northwestern wanted last year to do to go. It's gonna they're gonna need some luck to get through hundred and ten minutes, but they're still gonna be trying. For Actually, it. you know what? Let me revise it. Okay. 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 Now that I'm thinking about this one, because I feel like we didn't talk about this enough, is we, we mentioned it briefly, but how untested UCLA's goalkeeper is. Yeah. And I know she's good, but I think Northwestern could sneak one past because she's only made, what, 2.3 saves a game. Yeah. Her save percentage is at like 730, which is like pretty good. Coughed up a goal great. to San Diego State in the first uh, round. UCLA's defense is not their color card. It's pretty mediocre. Yeah, I mean, their defense their is a good offense. Their defense is them keeping the ball so the other team just doesn't yeah, have it. I think it. if you're UCLA, you need to limit the number of set pieces Northwestern gets because those Northwestern set pieces are going to be especially dangerous. I think more dangerous than they were against Butler. Austin, since I have you here, do you have any thoughts on how this game will go in addition to what Parker and I have said? I mean, I think you guys touched on everything. Um, I... I think Northwestern is certainly more capable of scoring this year than they were in their two previous matchups in this round. Well, not in this round last year, but against teams of this caliber in the NCAA tournament in West Virginia and Duke. Uh, I think Northwestern will keep this match really tight. I don't foresee UCLA just breaking down Northwestern and hammering a bunch past them. I think this will be really tight and it'll come down to the end. That about wraps it up for us. Thanks a lot to Parker Johnson for joining me a bit, Malik Austin Miller as well, just floating around tonight. Uh, his voice is recovering after sports a thought and his call this weekend. Hope your voice gets better. Thanks a lot for listening to Kicking It, the Northwestern Soccer Podcast. If this is the last episode, thanks a lot for listening this entire year. And if not, hey, we'll be really excited to join you next week after this weekend at UCLA. Um, on behalf of everyone here at WDR Sports for the Kick It Podcast, I'm signing off. And now you have our weekly exclusive interview with head coach Michael Boynihan. Hi, I'm Amit Malik of WNUR Sports here with Northwestern women's head soccer coach Michael Moynihan for our weekly chat. Getting deep into the postseason here, coach, your team defeated Butler in the first round of the NCAA tournament on penalty kicks. Just big picture, you know, this is the third year in a row your team has advanced to the second round. I'm sure you've heard this question a few times. You know, what does it mean for the program to, to be able to do that three years in a row? Yeah, we're feeling good. You know, it's, uh, it's a great feeling. Uh, wasn't so long ago that it was a stretch just to get to the NCAA tournament and uh, you know now we've been there a few times and making it to the second round it, it builds expectation but uh, it's a very rewarding feeling I think for the team very proud of them because um, you got to do a lot you know to earn your way there and uh, they put in an awful lot of work they, they lead very disciplined lifestyles to 
to make a lot of things happen. And so very proud of them for doing that. And I'm glad they get to see some reward for it. Let's talk about the Butler game. 0-0 through 110 minutes, went to penalty kicks. Focus on, you know, the run of play. What was your team's mindset to try to get through this game? You know, it was very cold. The conditions were bad. Felt like your team had the upper hand most of the way through. But, again, it was a very close kind of game. Yeah. You know, they were they were threatening. Um, I wouldn't say they really had any good chances other than they had one shot from kind of a, a tough angle that went across the goal mouth. Um Somehow they got a corner kick out of it. I don't know how, but uh, they, uh, you know, that was really their only good look that I can recall other than some corner kicks and, you know, serves in there that I thought we handled okay. But um, but they were still threatening. You know, the, the Paige Monahan, their number four, who was the, you know, their attacking um, conference player of the year, you know, I thought she was a handful. And she, when she got the ball, it, it was a little bit nerve-wracking at times in transition. Um, but it, you know, it kind of played out how we thought. They play a very stingy defensive style. A lot of times they got five back, you know, in the back line uh, behind the ball, and it's it's difficult to penetrate. We still had a couple of good looks. Maddie Kennel hit that one off the crossbar. Brenna got in after beating a couple defenders and had a good look, and I thought we were dangerous on a few set pieces as well. Um, but it didn't fall, and you know, fortunately, we came through in the penalty kicks. Um, you know, I think a lot of people that watched the game felt that we had the upper hand for the majority of it. Um, but you always got to score, you know. And when when you, when you don't, then you never know what can happen in penalty kicks. Um, so, when it comes to overtime, do you feel more pressure as a coach to get your team going forward, knowing that penalty kicks is? something you have even less control over or are you you don't want to change you know the way you've been playing you know for the last 20 minutes or so yeah it's a tough one because you know like I said they were threatening with uh you know the page particularly and uh you don't want to change too much and give them a look you know by by being too aggressive but definitely the thought of penalty kicks is looming you want to take advantage of some of the chances that you're creating and you know maybe push it a little bit more but you also don't want to leave yourself exposed so it's finding that balance and I felt like we were creating some good chances and some good opportunities it was you know just a little frustrating we couldn't couldn't get that goal and then obviously you probably have more confidence than a lot of coaches do when it comes to penalty shootouts you have one of the best goalkeepers in the country Lauren Clem she really came through in this shootout he talked about what what you saw from her that you know just allowed her to really get in their heads too yeah I thought she was great um you know the first save that she made that was that was all her um we didn't know where that player was going um I know Paul our our goalie coach has worked with her a little bit on reading different things about the body language as they approach and what they do with their eyes and shoulders and foot placement you know all of that type of stuff um and something clicked for her you know and she she just she got it right, and not only did she get it right, but she really stretched and covered a lot of the goal. It was a good shot, and uh, and she still saved it. So that immediately, I think, puts the other team in, holy crap, <laughs> I got to shoot it really well to score. And, uh, you know, when she stopped the second one, that, that was a little bit easier for her. Um, and by the third one, I think she was just feeling really confident in her movement and stuff, I think... Uh, you know, kind of got into the head of the, the shooter a little bit, um, you know, forced her to push it off the post, so. 
Uh, last a few weeks ago, we talked about penalty kicks. You said you know your team feels very confident about taking them. You know, no one in the squad is afraid to take them. Heard you mention maybe on the air that it kind of got to the time and you only had a few players that really wanted to do it. Obviously, the nerves are different again like that. Take us through, you know, the penalty kick taker's mindset when you were in that huddle and, you know, you're kind of deciding who's going to shoot. What did that look like? Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about um, just having the courage to do it for the team and that everybody on the team needs to respect that courage regardless of what the outcome is. And um, it, w- it was very interesting because we had a lot of people that, you know, said they wanted to take it and you always know in the moment it, it can be a little bit different especially on a day when you know the field conditions were so tough um, people's feet were wet they were cold after standing around um, you can go all 22 players you know are eligible to take the kick and you know FIFA rules you have to be on the field uh, but in NCAA you do not so all 22 people are eligible some of our better kickers had been standing around the entire game and didn't, didn't play um, some hadn't played a lot and so I don't want to make any assumptions as a coach. And uh, so I just asked the question, I said, who wants them? And we had three people that immediately, you know, shot their hands up and I you know, I want to do this. And um, I was like, all right, we're going to need a few more than that. And, you know, gradually they were like, okay, you know, we can do this. And um, had a few more people step up until we had our, our 10. And, uh, you know, and then we selected from there based on what, you know, we had seen in the preparation and kind of what we saw in their body language. Um, and, uh, you know, we selected what we thought was our best five, and it, it worked out well. Of course. And then, you know, last note on that, Butler had the two goalkeepers. Their goalkeeper that played the first half came in in the second half. I mean, obviously it doesn't affect too much what your kickers are doing, but did, was that a factor at all for the shooters? I don't think so. You know, I think... Uh, our kids really just focus on where they're going to place the ball, you know. And uh, we had a story for the kids. I can't remember if it was David or Paul that had it, but um, Pep Guardiola, you know, one of the top coaches in the world, Barcelona. He, well, Barcelona now, uh, Man City. Um, he brought in an expert um, from another sport. I think it was water polo, and it was like the all-time leading penalty shootout taker for water polo and kind of went through the mentality and what he does and he spoke with the team and he said there's two things you know once you once you leave the huddle you should know already where you're shooting there's no doubt about it you're picturing it in your mind and then from the moment you leave that huddle as well it's everything is I'm going to score you know and uh, you have to have a positive mindset and you can't start thinking about the crowd or noises or the other goalie or you know anything so it really doesn't enter into the equation as far as we teach the kids maybe reality is a little bit different but um, that's what we focus on and when we train we don't allow our goalkeepers uh, to go for the ball because we know that you know once the goalies know which way they're going uh, it's it's an unfair advantage for the goalkeeper so we don't allow our goalkeepers to, to attempt uh, for our people that are going to take them in games. Uh, they practice reading body language with the other players. Um, and we just want our players to gain in confidence. You know, They just see where they're hitting it, do it without telegraphing, and uh, just a lot of repetition. And again, you know, I, I think that's why they step into it. It doesn't really matter who the other goalie is. They just go into it with confidence. It certainly worked out, as you said. Um, looking ahead to this weekend, Friday night, UCLA, number two seed in your region. Obviously one of the most talented teams in the country, offensively a very potent team. 
you know, what, what's kind of been your start of preparation here early on in the week, getting ready for Friday? Yeah, I mean, we're just watching a lot of video right now still. Uh, our first training session since the game will be tonight, you know, and we'll start to go over some of it. But a lot of it's just watching, learning the uh, team tendencies in terms of formation, some of the individuals that, that's, that they got a lot of individuals that stand out. You could write a little, uh, you know, when you put the key players, you could have the whole starting lineup and then some. Um, but, you know, we have to pick out you know, who have been their difference makers and what are they doing? Um, some individual tendencies, things like that. But yeah, it's a little, uh, it's interesting because it, it's, it's a very good team. Technically, they're outstanding and uh, athletically, they're also very good. So uh, a lot of things to think about. You thought about some of the bigger teams you've played in the past two years, coming by Penn State twice. You saw Duke last year. I've asked you this before, but how does that experience of playing a team that's, you know, expects to just dominate the whole game how does that apply here what can your team draw from that if it is applicable yeah yeah i think it's definitely applicable that's how soccer is you know there's uh you don't judge the outcome based on you know each individual player and and how they're rated it's how do you perform as a team in achieving an objective and that's keeping the other team out of the goal and scoring a goal yourself so there's an awful lot of things that go into it, and uh, I know our team is very tight knit. They're very hardworking, um, very disciplined, and um, hopefully, you know, some of those attributes uh, are where we excel and uh, place us well within the match. You're going to have your hands full defensively, but I'm sure your team your team knows what they're going to have to defensively. The big question. I think is, you know, when you have the ball, how are you going to score against a team? You know, maybe we don't know too much about their defense yet. The, the players are talented, but what is it going to look like if your team is going to score? Uh, we'll see how that plays out. You know, we have some ideas, and um, obviously we've had some areas where we've been very strong this season, and we want to capitalize on those. We're going to be different from some of the teams that uh, I think have had some success against UCLA already this year. Um, you know we're built a little bit differently, and so we gotta we gotta find those things and build on them, and hopefully uh, we'll see them come out. You know when yeah. we play UCLA, but not before. <laughs> sure, of course, wouldn't want to reveal anything. Um, you know, conditions wise, circumstances wise, on the road, it's gonna be completely different weather wise. Supposed to be seven degrees and sunny. Sure, that helps at least. You know, not having to play in bad rain, cold weather, and then you know, you're expecting a pretty sizable crowd. How do the conditions kind of just, you know, add an extra factor in for your team? What does that mean for your preparation? Well, you know, as much as we like to believe you can block a lot of that stuff out and just focus on the game, it's it's a lot harder to do that, you know, when the crowd noise is is there and uh, and some of the some of the college playing environments can be pretty brutal as far as the spectators and things that they yell and it can be very distracting. So uh, you know, our players just have to do their best to keep their heads and do what they know how to do and not let, you know, external things. We have enough to worry about with just the quality of the players on UCLA, and uh, we can't let those other things become factors that distract us. Uh, and then I've, I've asked you this before as well. You've said you're, you're before, I think, a great quote. When your team is backed against a wall, you know you're going to get a really good response from them. You know, it's an elimination game, second round, very talented team. How do you expect your team mentally to, to respond and come out, you know, on uh, Friday? 
Yeah, I think um, we know they're fighters. You know, we see it all the time. And when we had our backs up against the wall this year in the Big Ten, uh, you know, I, I think they found a version of their best selves is one way of putting it. And uh, we're going to need to find that again. But, you know, as you've said, we've... We've had some experience now getting into the, the later rounds, playing against quality teams. We know sometimes, you know, the games don't play out um, exactly how you want to, but you learn from each one and you go into the next one, hopefully with a little bit better vision of what you have to do and a little bit uh, more confidence that you can actually get it done. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've had some good results already this year where, you know, you can start to see that, that belief building and building and, uh, you know, it'll be tested here, but uh, we look forward to that challenge. Last question. First, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of a game can always be, you know, really nervy. You, you, you've seen it before. You know, how do you how do you kind of prepare your team for those first minutes? What's your message? And what are you expecting maybe specifically against a team you know is from the get-go is probably going to be trying to score right off the bat and apply a lot of pressure? Yeah, that's, that's one of the tougher ones because <laughs> the more you emphasize those opening minutes, the more nervous they get. Um and I mean, the reality is we have given up some some early goals uh, in some big games over the years. And uh, you know, I look back at a couple of the Penn State games, and it's like, okay, we just got to you know ride out the first, and we end up conceding, and uh, and it's hurtful. You know, th- those those types of things uh, influence the game quite a bit, and the confidence, and they completely change the complexion. So. It's something we'll talk about, um, but the emphasis will be on just being disciplined and making the right decisions, and hopefully um, our players are ready for the pace of things. Great. Thanks a lot, Coach. Good luck on Friday.